0: Welcome to season five of Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie, and today we are going to be talking about McTeague, which is Frank Norris's 1899 novel about greed, class, eugenics, and a murderous San Francisco dentist—a type we see again and again in literary history—and in my Tinder matches, huh? <laughs> they only admit to light murder. Yeah, <laughs> But first, we are thrilled to welcome Josh Sadner, who is our guest host for this episode. Josh is a comrade, friend of the pod. Josh was my TA, which is a, a ongoing theme among the podcast hosts, and a <laughs> doctoral student in English at the UFC, where he works on the novel and representations of the corporation in the 19th and 20th centuries. So Josh, tell us a little bit about you your work interests politics and why you wanted to come on and read mcdeague with us
1: hey really great to be here um, and as you said Megan, I'm a huge fan of the pod friend of the pod and fan of the pod um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah I, I study the corporation at the turn of the 19th century and I wrote my MA thesis on corporate personhood in one of Norris's other novels the Octopus which is, not quite as batshit as McTeague, but it's definitely <laughs> up there. Uh, and I and I think Norris is um, fascinating for a lot of reasons. The more I read about him, the more and, and the more that I read his work, the more that I think there is clearly some kind of formal connection between Norris's naturalism and the form of the Hollywood blockbuster. I'm sure you guys also picked up on that too. It's pretty weird. And yeah, I, I find that to be I find that to be really interesting. American naturalism is also incredibly strange, and it's a weird, like, capacious uh, category. So, uh, so yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot to to dig in there on. And then, oh my politics! I'm a communist. I'll just I'll <laughs> just say I'm, yes. Welcome Conrad. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much it. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about this, like, really brutal, weird novel with you guys.
2: One thing to love about The Naturalists, right, is so many of them were communists. Unfortunately, there's also the eugenics kind of there's a bit of a, to
3: Yeah. It, so. yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: really bad. Really, really bad.
2: Yeah.
0: So, amongst the rest of us, for why we wanted to read McTeague, I have to credit my former student, John Wynn, who is now at Duke, for getting me to enjoy this book more he wrote an amazing ma thesis on it i had i had read it but then i was like oh maybe this is more interesting and i thought i also generally love a novel in which a guy is so dumb that it's mentioned on every page (laughs) like this distinguishes mcteague from some other noteworthy novels mostly of the 18th century in which guys are just like they're very dumb, but the author shows you by having them fall from a great height at regular intervals.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: But as much as I enjoy them, I'd also say that naturalist novels are pretty heavy on the, like, telling in the <laughs> whole show-don't-tell binary.
2: <laughs> right, so- like Horatio falls out of the window on, on the the prince, and that's how you know he's a dumbass. Frank Norris would show you that, but also explain It also has
0: he, to tell you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there's a big reliance on the adverb stupidly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've read other naturalist novels, if you've read like Native Son or The Jungle, you're fami- you're familiar with this heavy-handedness. But naturalist novels are great because they're often written by communists that's cool. You can usually skim them because they don't really have characters. They just have like <laughs> little pawns that you move around to try to make your claim. And if you want to teach a class, call literature and photography. You can ruin your students' lives by forcing them to read, for example, Dreiser's An American Tragedy, which is 700 pages long. And why would you do that? Well, there's a movie based on it. And the movie has Montgomery Clift in it. And you could just watch that. <laughs> that's a thing you could do theoretically also I do like this book a lot and not just because there's a scene in it where a lady fucks a giant pile of money yes
2: yeah there yes um it, it repeated repeated scenes like that yeah i will say uh yeah 700 i mean that yeah that is a that is a rough thing to drop on students but one thing i do whatever enjoy,
0: clarissa just well we no that's what, I, shit
2: like that. that's what i'm saying is that like it's so is that like naturalism tends to be so pulpy it doesn't feel like 700 pages whereas clarissa is no. like 1500 pages and feels like it's thirty thousand pages
0: you, know? <laughs> yeah, <he laughs> you can awesome. skim naturalist <laughs> novels you just gotta like pick up on the main points and you're okay right
4: you can just let your eye rest on the page. Yeah,
0: skip the adverbs. Okay, Katie, why did you want to read it?
4: I wanted to read this again because who doesn't want to read a novel where the plot is the left Budweiser Clydesdale got fired for being too stupid and decided to become a dentist? Which is like essentially the plot of the, the book. And then who almost kills himself deep-throating a billiard ball. On Mm -hmm. a dare. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because his bro dared him too. And I just, I think that's cool. I think that there are a lot of other things that are cool about this book. A woman's hair is a character and changes throughout the novel. And the way that her hair smells is another Mm -hmm. different character that undergoes a similar evolution. We know Frank Morris
0: is kink.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We do. Well, he might have several. Uh, judging by McTeague. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also do like the fact that a major plot point here is, has to do with a large golden tooth sign. Because that's just, it's just dang. Everything that happens is ridiculous and no one would believe you if you just started describing plot details. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I did, I love to cheat and find out from the audiobook how things are pronounced. And the audiobook of McTeague is read in the thirties cop voice, like, yeah, give me a seat.
0: The that's enti- awesome. like
4: the in- fourteen hours of like, hey, McTeague. Yeah.
0: What's the word? <laughs> that's a choice.
2: Uh, it is, yeah. yeah.
0: Exhausting. Um so Tristan, why do you want to read it?
2: Yeah, yeah, no. Well, also, it's, it's, we're doing talking about San Francisco and like some tech bro ideas. You, I can get millions of dollars for this one, right? What about like an app that reads the news to you, but like in a nineteen thirties transatlantic newsreel voice? You Do know? it. What? Yeah,
0: a million dollars.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Aren't you I, like over the age of twenty seven? Though, like, how are you going to have ideas that will communicate to the tech bros? <laughs>
2: true just say
4: disrupt you're going to disrupt the news space
2: yeah yeah yeah. yes yeah yeah yeah. this is disruptive technology yeah Yeah, (laughs) exactly so yeah actually uh i a few biographical connections here as to why i wanted to read mcteague uh, josh was reminding me before we started the the show um so frank frank norris died of a ruptured appendix and my appendix exploded this spring it's been a whole cycle i'm fine now but um i just want to say well i guess i i guess i came out on top of that one frank (laughs) 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 fuck you and no
0: antibiotics (laughs) frank norris (laughs)
2: exactly it's like yeah maybe you should have had that like you know 60 years later and you wouldn't have died you bum but uh, (laughs) (laughs) sorry sorry, I, I kid, I guess, but no, like, I, you know, another thing, I have an awful lot of both Irish and German ancestry. And I, I guess I have to have a grudging respect for novel that leans so hard into the predilection of one side of my family towards crime and drunkenness. And the, uh, the fact that the, uh, in fact that the other side are deranged militarists who will like to live in cuckoo clocks. Um, so, <laughs> so. Katie is
0: not going to touch on the anti Polish.
2: <laughs> oh Yeah. Yeah. Racism
0: this yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah,
2: it, it, yes, it, That's g- everything. G- good, good point, Megan, because I want to be clear that those while both of what I just said is absolutely part of this novel, those are far from the worst moments of Norris <clears throat> dabbling and eugenics. here. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some pretty pronounced anti-Semitism, among other things. But eugenics aside, and yeah, I guess we sure are in late 19th century America here. I've wanted to read this novel for, for several years, at least, uh, in part, everyone on the show today has told me I have to read it and just how fucking bizarre and amazing it is. Also, my grandfather was a dentist and knowing that it's about a dentist who does murder. I was like, yes, let's do it. Hell yes. <laughs>
0: Little shop of horrors.
2: Yeah, fatigue. it really is. Yeah. I, I, I didn't used to have a dental phobia, but I might after having read this novel, um, <laughs> But there really is a time that's fascinating and, and, and legitimately great. As an East Coast guy, I was super stoked to read a Western urban novel from this period. I know California wasn't actually like this, but I think my subconscious metal image of, of the U.S. settler version of California culture is the 49ers and Daniel Plainview shouting about drainage. Like that That was
1: kind of my sense of what was
0: happening at this time.
2: Um, and You've only so- seen
0: Chinatown and like <laughs> Westerns.
2: Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, the, the, the Pony Express, right? But uh, yeah, Back to the Future 3, Yeah, another really great yes. uh, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) no but there's so much to talk about class forms and the petty bourgeoisie and precarity and other than when he does veer kind of hard into racism and anti-semitism which to be fair happens a lot in this novel i thought that what he does with character is fascinating like we kind of touched on this but i mean it's dickensian except way darker which it's like yeah that okay yeah i mean naturalism and character i mean, I think that's another thing i'd love to talk about today so
0: so today we are talking about class and professionalization, naturalism, sex, and money. So Josh, tell us what happens in the novel.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, strap in. Uh, so... <laughs> it's your dental, is... dental tools
0: clean.
3: Yeah. I,
1: I thought I thought you were going to say dental dams, and I was like, oh my God, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Always available uh, for every episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
4: this podcast comes with dental dams. Yeah, yeah
1: I, I am actually doing this whole podcast through a dental dam right now. Um, you guys can't see me because we turned <laughs> the cameras off. But so McTeague is about a dentist in San Francisco named McTeague or Mac to the boys, and
0: he does not have a this- first name, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, just just is McTeague or or, or Mac, and, and that's it. Norris also does that in, like, other novels, too. Like, he does that in The Octopus. Um, I, I don't know what it means, but he does that. Anyway, McTeague is this enormous, oafy man with a massive shock of blonde hair, and he's well over six feet tall. He's, like, 6'2", or 6'3", and is literally strong enough to pull teeth out with his bare hands. So, he's not what you might call a licensed professional
3: uh,
1: <laughs> at all. Um, and he has very few aspirations except for, as Katie said, to place a giant gilded tooth above his office and just like recline and drink his steam beer or, or whatever.
0: It is referred one to d- as the tooth of a Brobdingnagian, which is, I figured, yeah. one of those references that Tristan would enjoy. Yeah,
2: nice, nice, swift reference to the land of the giants. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Hell yeah, hell yeah. One day, his his buddy, McTeague's buddy, Marcus, uh, comes around with his incredibly underage cousin named Trina, and Marcus asks Mac if he'll fix her broken tooth. So the tooth is really messed up, and it takes, like, weeks of surgery every day, and it also doesn't help that McTeague isn't technically a, quote, good dentist.
3: Uh, <laughs> And he
1: does a pretty average to, I'd say, poor job, but the whole time he falls in love with Trina, who at this point is not really into Mac at all. And then also, I think at this point, I should mention that Marcus is also in love with Trina, who, like I said, is his cousin. Yeah. Uh, Marcus and McTeague, there's like this double like M, M sounding name thing. And then there's also Maria who, who we'll meet later anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, you're right that. Yeah. Actually I hadn't noticed that, but there is an alliterative quality that I suspect yeah. is doing something. I just wanted to say the two weeks of surgery gets real fucking creepy, right? He etherizes her and oh, then yeah. he get, he starts to get real fucking horny and shit like in, in, a, in a, in a criminal kind <laughs> of way, you know, yes. it's a very, very unsettling scene. I also, when she wakes up, he's like, Hey, why don't we get married? And she proceeds to vomit is is a pretty 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 boss <laughs>
3: yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> like, well, the yeah. way he proposes
4: is just like well what we'll, what we'll, we'll, do it will you do it yeah, just like, you what, say what something you, like will you
2: like what, what's wrong with us getting married <laughs> This is yeah, anyway. like the
0: institution of marriage makes me puke yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah i also love how every time they make out frank norris is just like they made out and it was really gross and like yes. <laughs> yes 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 it just they, they did it super grossly yeah.
0: yeah why would i make out with my husband when i can go fuck this money
1: yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll,
2: we'll get there, we'll yeah, get there. Oh, bad. oh yeah oh bad.
1: yeah <laughs> so so mcteague is is really bummed right because he's in love with trina but he also respects his his buddy marcus so one day Marcus is just bumming around and he's asking McTeague to things up because McTeague is obviously being like very emo that day. And McTeague says, yeah, I'm like super sad because I'm in love with Trina, who also happens to be your underage cousin. <laughs> and, and Marcus is like, okay, well, you're my good buddy. I'll let you romantically be involved with my underage cousin. And McTeague is really stoked about this. And eventually he and Trina have this relationship and uh she ends up kind of falling for him slowly agreeing to like be attracted to him it's very strange
0: anytime they have physical contact even though it's gross she definitely wants to be like crunched up into a million tiny little pieces
1: yeah yeah there's
2: a lot, uh, Nara's, like, the, and one of the things he returns to again and again is this idea that the feminine desire for submission against, like, right. this the unstoppable force of this giant oaf, right?
0: It's not cool submissive. No. It's not like, oh, cool. It's it's gross.
4: did not and- describe this book as sexy at all.
3: No.
0: There's oh, nothing yeah. about not. it that's sexy. Nothing. Sincerely. <clears> Except
3: <throat> S- 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 S-
2: for the canary. Is, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, one of the many way- reasons why it's gross is that because it's, like, it's positing this biological essentialism at the heart of gender. Um, And one thing I was going to say, Josh, when you were like, uh, you know, this bizarre seed where like Marcus decides to quote, unquote, give up Trina to McTeague or whatever. There's all this homo-sociality around like McTeague's like, I would hate anything to come between us, Mark. Right. But his desire for Trina is described as like his sexual, he had no sex before Mm. this. He's 30, but he thinks like girls are icky. You know, there's something that sparks this kind of
0: etherized.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's extremely gross. But, but it is like this weird, like, yeah, I mean, it's this, it's this weird, like mapping of like kind of homosocial bonds, but which are kind of like conceived as I think infantile or something in a way, but, but then like the, uh, the appearance of the quote unquote appropriate like sort of sex object sparks this animal urges like coming to be, I I think it's, it's just like that stuff's notable just because I do think that there's something there about like what the novel wants to do with this idea of like human nature and the kind of like biologicalness of of people, um, that is very fucked up and retrograde, but I think is also like really important to like what it is that it thinks the c- like kind of central problems are.
0: Also like, now I'm going to the galaxy brain, but like, Tristan, as soon as you said the homosexuality, I was thinking of that last scene and like, oh, that's the orgasm of this book. The bursting canteen and like if I'm going, I'm taking you with me.
2: No, absolutely, and I did not even think of that. But you were entirely well, correct. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's They've a
4: incorporated great point. handcuffs into their dehydration yeah. play. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <Yeah>. we went. <laughs> oh my god. No, you're oh tot- my It's god. like
0: I didn't even think about it, and it's just like no, she totally is the way of like triangulating. It's the, yeah. the it's a it's a triangular relationship. I had never yeah. thought of it.
1: Wait, can I, can I also just go back to something you said, Tristan? I, I think yeah. um, what you were saying is super interesting about the homosexual relationship between Mac and Mark. It's interesting because when they codify this traffic in Trina, they do so by doing this like weird frat thing where they swallow these billiard balls. <laughs> they like challenge yes. each other to like yes. <laughs> swallow these billiard balls. Yeah. So they're like yeah. swallowing like this singular ball yeah. And Marcus is the first one to do it and he's like, Hey, I just swallowed this ball, now it's your turn. And he like pulls it out of his mouth. It's got like his saliva and shit on it. And he rolls yeah. it over to, to McTeague. And then he's like, Well, I can swallow this ball too, you know? It's like Yeah. It's like this weird like homo social, like uh who has like, no gag reflex? Who <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like
2: no. Absolutely no, you, you guys are right, and and I think any moment in that book where you're like, wait, they, uh, like you could read like as sort of like sexual resonance there. No, you a hundred percent are supposed to. Like, yeah, I mean, absolutely, I, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. And the, and all and of it, the
0: sexualizations in this book are like completely. Bananas, right? Yes. Like they have to be yeah. as strange and 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 yeah. like mystifying as possible.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think all of the Freudian scholars like in the world read this book and they pass away immediately because it's all about like <laughs> the mouth and like yeah. putting things in your mouth and like these yeah. this like infantile like these infantile desires yeah. as you were saying, Tristan, about like how he didn't have sexuality and then suddenly he had sexuality, but like yeah, or well, like not osmosis, not Freudian, right? Like
0: but. absorbing money into your skin
1: yeah oh yeah
0: like well, non and, yeah. she's right like her whole her oh, totally. apparently her thing is like non-penetrative
1: yeah oh yeah like a skin ego kind of thing yeah, yeah totally well, it-
2: yeah no and 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 I think I think I mean Freud is always sort of ap- opposite uh, to this stuff and, and particularly this point in time. But Freud is writing the three essays almost contemporaneously. I was going to say like right when, now, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. like yeah. So it's like I think it's like you want to do a Freudian reading. It's like
1: even as a historicist, it's like
2: yes, do a Freudian reading on this.
1: You know. So. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's also so crazy because I mean. We we could we could go on about this like probably for hours, but I think Norse's other novel, The Octopus, is all about the uncanny. That mm-hmm. that novel is just mm-hmm. like purely oh, yeah. like about him talking about the uncanny, which hasn't like been named in its psychoanalytic form yet yeah. because Freud hasn't written about it, but it's really weird. It's it's so strange. And then also I was thinking too, this like desire that trina has to be like crushed or like physically moved in some way Mm -hmm. plays really well into the themes of animation and like total lack of free will and agency to uh these like massive controlling forces Mm -hmm. um which i think definitely like play into like conversations about ego super ego id all of that um anyway yeah, but what, yeah. What a psychoanalytic a- analytic detour we've just taken. But.
2: Yeah, No, no, but th- no, but I think, I think that'll help as you get into more of the plot stuff to kind of cool. see why some of this stuff
1: uh, A bunch matters. of people just
0: fast forward, just hit the 30 seconds ahead button. <laughs> yeah, 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 like,
1: yeah. Like fuck this, fuck this, whatever. <laughs> just get to the desert scene already. Um, so yeah. So they codify this like exchange that happens uh, with Trina. And then suddenly Uh, One day, Trina buys a lottery ticket from Maria, who is this um, Mexican janitorial worker of the building McTeague lives in. And we should probably take a second to say that Norris's depiction of Maria is extremely racist. Yep. She's like oh, a yeah. conniving service worker who's like constantly stealing stuff from McTeague and tricking him and making him feel like shit. And there's also this incredibly weird scene where she goes to a junk shop operated by this Jewish man who is, uh, needless to say... Anti-Semitically portrayed, um, Dickens would be impressed by this
0: to the oh, degree yeah. <laughs> yeah. that it is like yeah. rubbing like it's so cringe.
2: Yeah, it's know, I,
1: it's really cringe.
2: Yeah, a, a, it's a, really a Victorian really novelist cringe. would be like, "Oh, it seems a little anti-Semitic." I think, yeah, exactly. you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a little long
4: the nose, and I'm the guy who made my square character a square. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. yeah, yeah. Uh, Um, And and then eventually, Maria and the the Jewish man, whose name is Zerkow or or Zerkov, uh, they get married. And then later on, Zerkov ends up killing Maria because he believes Maria uh, owns a ton of gold plates. And he's like, pathologically driven to steal these gold plates. But they don't actually exist. They're like a thing Maria made up and uh, and he ends up murdering her and that's a whole side plot thing. But yeah. she's
4: like profoundly mentally ill. Every time mm-hmm. she introduces herself, she says, my name, hi, my name's Maria. I had a flying squirrel. Let him go.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah it's like a tick, right? It's That's yeah. how I it, read it.
2: Yeah, it yeah,
0: is. Yes, so it is.
2: Yes. And the gold plate thing, it's like, yeah, she's got this story, which it's unclear whether she believes it, whether it, it has any relationship to reality, whether it's a delusion, um, but that, that her family was like rich in Central America and owned all these gold plates. But at one point, like that she just lets like, no, I never said that. And yeah, it's it's very yeah, it, it's 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 unclear what's going on with her. Um, But I think you're right. Like m- mental illness. Uh, for sure, um, but also like what Josh you said the the, the racist depiction. Pretty much every oh, character yeah, totally. in this book, you know? yeah.
1: but- incredibly, incredibly, like even down to like the Hungarian family that will meet later that's squatting in the in the house trying to buy. Frank Norris is like. And then a bunch of Hungarians were occupying this. Yes, house. So you're like what the fuck. <laughs> yes, like, yeah,
2: and, then, yeah, and yeah. him telling yeah. you they're Hungarian is supposed to signal something for sure. Definitely, you know but
4: Hungarian. And,
2: <laughs> and my my joke about the 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 German stuff too, right? Like Trina's family, they're 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 Swiss Germans, and like, yeah, her dad is basically like looks like Bismarck, marching his children, like, and 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 like, yeah, they basically do live in a cuckoo clock, you know? And that's yeah, like, totally. But that and that's like, as I said, like the mildest of. The kind of ethnic stereotypes happening here. But,
1: uh. Yeah, it's 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 really, really brutal. And, and we're only like 50 pages in. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, okay, major plot point number one, Trina ends up winning $5,000 from this lotto ticket that she bought from Maria, which in today's dollars is like 150,000. Did a little inflation calculator thing. And Marcus is not totally stoked about this because he's forfeited Trina, his cousin, by the way, to McTeague, and now she's just loaded. So he's like, what the fuck? I could have had this life of ease and enjoyment with my my underage cousin. So he's getting kind of salty about this.
3: He wanted
4: to live the Edgar Allan Poe dream, but it was taken from him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A tiny underage Woman, you can crush with your bare hands.
1: Ugh, God. Really, really, really tough. So a few months pass, and then Mac and Trina invest the money into her uncle's toy shop. Her uncle's name is like Olbermann or something yeah. like that, and, um, and of course he owns a toy shop because you know that's that's what we <laughs> That's the
0: living in a cuckoo clock thing, yeah. yeah.
1: Just like yeah, <laughs> yeah. like Frank Norris is like, what's the weirdest aesthetic choice I could possibly yeah. make for this? And he's like, oh, they like yes. own a own a toy shop, but but again, like I think that plays really well with the theme of ventriloquism and animation by forces. Everybody's like a toy. Everything's kind mm-hmm. of uncanny. Anyway, mm-hmm. so Marcus at this point right is getting more and more estranged from McTeague. And at this point, he's pretty pissed off about the marriage. And then there's like this weird interaction between, where Marcus tries to stab McTeague. And this leads to the ultimate dissolution of their friendship. There's no turning back now, despite having them at one point deep-throated these billiard balls together as bros. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah, that's serious. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, it's a real fracture. They uh, they broke up. Yeah. Um, yeah. wasn't cool. But- yeah.
4: They didn't make it to the pool queue. They had to stop right at the bowl.
1: Oh, God. And, uh, and, and, then, and then Trina and Mac get married. And soon enough, as we can all imagine, Trina starts to get pretty unhappy with things. Um, they're not going well at all. Trina keeps thinking, like, Jesus Christ, I've married this huge oaf. But then she's like, it's okay. I can fix him. Uh, and predictably, <laughs> it does not work. And a whole bunch of other things that, like, generally raise the tension of the novel are going on. Trina's family is going broke because their upholstery business is doing really poorly. Mm -hmm. And then also Trina gets this side gig making these really creepy Noah's Ark figurines. So she basically opens up this, like, moderately successful Etsy operation, basically, (laughs) for, like, all the church ladies (laughs) who want these Noah's Ark figurines or whatever yeah. and then in classic naturalist form all of these other side plots and side characters are coming in and the and, and the plot generally kind of like stalls for like 100 pages <laughs> and again trina's parents their business is going under and then mac and mark end up having this strange wrestling contest where mcteague breaks marcus's arm in this like really gruesome yeah, way yeah, it's like yeah. a compound fracture it's completely busted and marcus is utterly humiliated utterly humiliated by this so he decides to decides to move away uh to los angeles where we all know is a place that humiliated people go <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> we'll help with our self-esteem
1: To help, yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: And and again, with the sort of like sexual themes, there is no way to not read the DS sort of stuff with uh, uh, with with Marcus (laughs) and and Mac. Then that like that Mac like forcing like kind of his will on Marcus. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. I think that's that's very very present. Also, um, Marcus bites off McTeague's ear, Ear, Mike Tyson style. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I forgot. That
1: was
4: so fucked.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah anyway <laughs> but, yeah yeah and he's like they're just both bleeding out everywhere yeah, and yeah. yeah it's a it's a crazy uh crazy time and it is about humiliation that's another theme uh for sure i think mm. that's all over the novel is just deep profound humiliation Most definitely. that these two guys like try to level at each other so shortly after marcus moves away mac receives a letter from city hall this is a huge plot point Uh, saying that Mac can't practice dentistry anymore because he lacks this little old thing called a medical degree. Uh, And it turns out that Marcus, before he left, he narked on McTeague to the government, which completely ruins the McTeagues and forces them to move into a smaller, dingier apartment. So McTeague finds this low-paying manufacturing job, and then quickly gets laid off, and then he starts drinking, and things are really spiraling downward um, at this point. And then also, I, I just want to say, on a serious note, there's a ton of domestic abuse in this novel. Like this is when it really becomes like pretty graphic. Mm-hmm mcteague loses his job and yeah um and starts drinking pretty heavily it, it's really bad it's like it's really it's really really graphic and mcteague like in multiple scenes hits trina and then he bites her fingers yeah. in this really horrific way it, it's it's bad it's really bad there's there's no there's no way around this it's bad
2: yeah the
0: biting it, thing sends chills through me yeah yeah it is yeah. it's
2: really upsetting um and, and also just again so sort of like I mean, I think it's supposed to be like the animal, right? Like, I mean, that's what, what, but I mean, but, but, but like also, but like with a deeply sadistic sort of human intent to it around the sort of domestic abuse stuff, I do think the money question is so, and like what the novel thinks the money question is doing is so inescapable. We're told that like Trina's is just hoarding all, like she's like, she's not telling uh, McTeague how much they have. She like, won't let them touch the 5,000 that she has invested before or like right when he's the domestic abuse starts he starts like you're a miser like over and over like what why are you making this live like this so like her um and, and her like does, her like sort of like um i, I mean I, I guess the question is like how we want to read that like she like she's like this money is mine and you're not touching it um and i guess just like how we want to read that and like what the novel thinks that's doing with domestic politics of the space yeah, Doesn't I just have a lot of questions. property law
0: make though. it his, like once they're married?
2: Well, that, yeah, that was one of my questions was that, like, I mean, legally, can we read that as, yeah, I mean, she's like, yes, what you just said, like, legally, it should be, it, it is his. But she's but the book like, doesn't no, treat it that way. Yes, like legally, uh, you know, th- at this period, the man basically controls all of the finances of the household. But the yeah, the novel does not does not treat it that way. It's like no, this is Trina's money that she has whatever level of control over she wants to. And so yeah, I just I I don't know. I thought that was very interesting, like what the novel thought that that was doing.
4: Yeah, no, it's her money. Like he's a dentist, right? It, in fact. So here's the thing I think that's so odd about it for me, and it ties the two concepts together, which is that you wouldn't let a child be responsible for money and all of McTeague's, his abusive actions that he follows through on, like he raises his fist to her, but everything he does is like biting and pinching like yeah. he's a child, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but it's yeah. but it's a sick version of it. Yeah. So there's something... The domestic space in general and the family, like what is... What is McTeague in that, and what is Trina, and what mm. are all their little weird figurines yes. and like all the other shit?
2: Yeah. She is quite young. He is more than a decade older than her, right? But he's described exactly what you're saying, Kitty. Is basically infantile, but in a deeply sort of sinister way with all of his um, e- actions and things. Yeah, like just like you know, like stuntedness in some way is like part of I think the whole landscape here.
0: He's an enormously powerful toddler.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's like that giant baby from the internet that everybody was like talking about. Yeah, a yeah yes, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: He's yeah. like Frankenstein's monster, only less cool. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah.
2: much less cool, and um,
0: yeah, more alive for most of the book,
1: and much much dumber too. Much but, dumber. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I was just I was just thinking about uh, that one scene. Where he approaches the owner of that house that he really wants to buy, but he can't buy it because he has to get the money from Trina because it's yeah. technically not his money. Yeah. And the owner of the house humiliates him mm-hmm. by yeah. saying, like, "Oh, well, I didn't realize you had to go to your wife to get this money. Yeah, like, you know, and that and that I think perpetual gendered humiliation, I think is like important to. Uh, the, the relationship to like the money form in the novel in, in some kind of way, mm, yeah, um, which yeah. maybe we could talk about more yeah. later. But so, so yeah, so things are really spiraling out of control. Everyone is going completely batshit crazy. And one night McTeague steals all of the money in the chest where Trina keeps her earnings from her little figurines Uh, Not the actual $5,000 because that is invested in the store, which we'll get to, but he ends up stealing like $400 or something like that. And at the same time, Trina's fingers, uh, which have been bitten by McTeague, are now going all gangrene and necrotic, and it's really gross, and she needs them amputated. So she's not able to make her little figurines anymore. And McTeague steals all of her bunnies. So it's a a real low point for for Trita at at this point. And then she eventually convinces Olbermann, her her toy-making uncle, to return the principal amount of $5,000 so she can just have this massive chest of gold coins that she, like we've all been alluding to, uh, has a sexual relationship with (laughs) uh, every evening. And... uh, (laughs) and then she moves into this really tiny flat above a fucking kindergarten yeah mm-hmm. and again she doesn't have these she doesn't have these fingers but she ends up becoming like a janitor she she works as like a janitor for the kindergarten and like lives above it and uh, and yeah every night she spreads out the coins on her bed and Makes love to them. Yeah, it, it,
2: uh, it, yeah. It progresses from first she's just like really polishing the coins in her apron, and then and then she's putting them in her mouth, and then finally she's lying naked on top of the pile of gold. Yeah,
1: like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, is pretty. Everybody's
0: super looking forward to getting a gold coin stuck to your sweaty boob. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. imagining like like her setting this up for for another version of herself like yeah i want you, you naked on a bunch of cold metal <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of moving around and it's dirty yeah and shouldn't be on the bed yeah
1: yeah oh god and and meanwhile uh mcteague is homeless he's wandering the streets and then somehow he finds trina and yells up to her in into her flat, uh, Tennessee Williams style, asking if he can have some money. And she once again denies him. And this like really pisses him off. And I, McTeague is like pure animal man at this point. He's super scary. And, oh, and, there, and there's this little detail too. Um, oh, I forgot. Uh, Trina sold, This is this is great. Trina sold his concertina, which is like a little accordion thing that when he like still had his dental practice uh, in between patients, he would like play this concertina and he just like, he loved to, he loved to play it and he'd play these like really melancholy sounds or whatever. It's
4: his kid. Uh, one song, one song,
1: yeah, it th-
2: his six oh, le- six luxurious airs. Right, nice.
3: <laughs>
2: but yeah, and it, it it had I think it had some sort of atavistic implication for him too, right? I think in that he like McTeague grew up in like this mining camp, and I think he had had the concertina yeah. basically since his mining days. So it's like among other things, it's this weird like link to this lost, never really existed kind of childhood.
1: Yeah, totally, and that is the point that I register where. McTeague finally breaks for the last time in terms of his relationship to Trina because Trina sells a bunch of his shit, particularly this concertina, which he has this emotional connection to. And then as he's wandering the, the streets of San Francisco, he looks into this like little pawn shop and he sees his fucking concertina Yeah, and he's like, what the fuck? Uh, and that really sends him off. He's like, no, not my fucking concertina. Hell the fuck no. <laughs> Anything uh, but- anything but the concertina no, and my giant tooth uh, and my concertina he's yeah. like he's like i want two goddamn things my yeah. fucking tooth and my concertina <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: And my canary's and... on me so it's fine
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> wait does the canary have a name i can't remember not that i, I don't remember I don't no know. i don't think so yeah, yeah. it's described
4: oh. in terms of how alive it is at that moment <laughs>
0: yes <laughs>
1: yeah. no. oh god um so, so yeah, so he's pretty pissed off about this concertina. And then he finds Trina at her work. And then he goes all Anton Chigurh on her and murders her in the coldest blood possible. And this is an extremely pulpy murder. Uh, he kills her and she's like laying in a pool of blood twitching. And then like the next day, All the little kindergartners come to class, and then they see your like dead body, and they start screaming. It's so It's it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Oh my god. But I, I have to say that, like, the, the mechanics of that scene are really well done. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's really oh, yeah. terrifying. It's, like, the, yeah. the way that, like, the suspense of, like, the is like, opening up the door and they see – it's, like, it's really crazy. Yeah. It also, like, seems profoundly American to me. Like, the, yeah. the whole, like, bodily horror of it. Um, no,
2: I, I agree. I mean, I like, I, the <laughs> – the parts of this novel that I'm like, I oh, come on, you asshole, are like, are more the sort of like the the racist sort of like <laughs> thematic uh, ideas. Formally, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it is like chilling and like deeply upsetting in like ways yeah. that I think it largely intends to be. So, yeah.
0: I mean, naturalist yeah. novels to me are always this like c- this confluence of a really interesting cinemat, like v- visually inflected, photographic or cinematic. Mm-hmm. Moments and incredibly clunky plots that are just like money is terrible, but having it is okay. This almost all naturalist novels sort of read the same, right? So this sounds this feels like the jungle,
1: yes, in a way, right? Like there's
0: a moment where the jungle turns, and you're like, and then the children die, yeah, and then the women died, and then. Everybody died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Sure, for yeah. Sure. And
1: then, and then, reading it, you're like, oh yeah, things things are really bad in the world. Like yeah. that's just like the yeah. main point is yeah. that like everything is really deeply fucked, and like that's yeah. what you that's what you take away from it. Yeah, absolutely. So Teague, uh after having murdered Trina in this really gruesome way, flees Sa- San Francisco southward. And there's a brief part of the novel where he gets a job as a miner. But the cops are really close behind him, and he can feel them approaching. So he has to get this mule, and he takes the gold with him, uh, and he takes his water in this canteen, and then, of course, his trusty canary. And he's got this plan to go to Mexico. But as he's traveling southward uh, towards Death Valley, lo and behold, who finds him but one Marcus (laughs) and it turns out, yeah, it turns out that Marcus has been hunting him down after he learned about Trina's murder in San Francisco. And then the ending choreography of this like sparring match between Marcus and McTeague is like really fucking awesome, Mm -hmm. honestly. And, and I think everybody should, should read it for themselves if you're like interested in this novel, because it really is like, it really is spectacular, but basically they have to like team up to prevent the mule from like running away with all of the water. It's just like very complicated thing. But then, uh, then the mule dies because Marcus like shoots it or something. Yeah. Um, and then it turns out they like, they like approach the dead mule and, uh, and and, and they like open up the canteen and all the water is gone and they're like oh fuck everything was for nothing yeah. classic classic naturalist move yeah by the mm-hmm. way everything yeah. didn't account for shit and then these like the two sad, men are, like premature
0: ejaculatory like oh the yeah. water it's gone yeah yeah <laughs> well and, it, and
2: it's gone it's gone because i think mar either the mule fell on it or because the marcus hit, it. It, yeah.
1: hit the can yeah that's so, yeah that's what it is that's yeah. what it is yeah um there's no god there
0: is only the plot of the naturalist novel (laughs) there's only the falling mule
1: yeah yeah so they they start fighting with each other in death valley and you can imagine it's like 115 degrees and they're extremely dehydrated and they're totally delirious and then mcteague just kills marcus but not before and this is like the famous the famous moment not before Marcus handcuffs himself to McTeague. Mm -hmm. So good old Mac attack is left in the desert with (laughs) a dead mule, a dead Marcus and half a dead canary. Yeah. Um, and and the gold, of course, and then boom, you know, the end. At the end of that, I'm like, man, we're just like dying for a sequel. Like McTeague 2, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. like, like if, yeah. if this is like a franchise nowadays, it would be it would be like it'd be like, Oh, McTeague survived, yes. you know. Oh, and then like Definitely. whatever did some like crazy, like teamed up with Iron Man or some fucking bullshit. I don't know.
0: The last like, sentence is its own paragraph and it's McTeague remained stupidly looking around him. <laughs> now at that distant horizon, now at the ground, now at the half-dead canary chittering feebly in its little guilt prison. And it's just yeah. like, oh, that writing is what? so good. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it is. is hell yeah.
2: The first
4: time you read the end of McTeague, you're gonna shit your pants.
2: Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a fucking bleak and terrifying scene. I just, I uh, just wanted to note that the uh, the 1924 film adaptation of this by Eric von Stro- Stroheim, um, "Greed," which if you haven't seen it, you should watch. It is. It's only four hours, cut down from the original <laughs> nine. That von Stroheim did. But That final scene is like amazing. Like the way they shot that, and because von Stroheim was insane and wanted to spend like a James Cameron amount. Of money on this silent film, they <laughs> shot it on location indefinitely. Yep. Like, which imagine before air conditioning, before you know, any kind of modern transportation to get like enough water there, like what that would have been like. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I great.
0: mean, it's like weird to say epic, but they were like, he was committed to a, a real realist project.
2: No, he, well, yeah. And, 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 and literally committing the entirety of the novel to film. Like it's kind of. Oh yeah. He wanted like every minute.
0: Although wasn't it like nine hours or something?
2: Yes. The original cut was nine hours. They were like, this is amazing, but fuck no. They made him cut it down to two. And then I think in the nineties they have, they have restored it to like, uh, it's now four hours long and they basically have gotten the whole film back. But what they did was they used like production stills from the, uh, from the deleted scene. So like. Well, this so it's
0: partly on the back of the Robert Alt, Robert Altman trying to make the movie about it, right?
2: That's
1: right. Oh yeah,
0: well, the adaptations of Mcteague are its own story. Like it's yeah. just an amazing thing. Well,
2: well, and, one, and one reason I wanted to uh, to kind of mention that, though, is something that you said, Megan, about the kind of cinematic quality of naturalism. Yeah. Um, it, it really is. I mean, it's like it, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a literary style or genre that's arising uh, sort of like a little bit before but alongside the motion picture and it's just very interesting the way like the kind of narrative technologies of like what people like Norris are doing and film technologies have like kind of a lot a lot of overlap with each other
0: Well, it really emerges in particular from photo the the mobile camera for photography is an 1890s invention and so like both earlier so Stephen Crane writing the red badge of courage he says that he's committed to sort of like Matthew Brady's aesthetic and then when Dreiser writes an American Tragedy there's a strong photographic relationship there too because it's based on this real case and so like cinema but the photographic technology that makes cinema possible there's a visual relationship here and Josh when you talk about landscape that's important too right because that's one of the biggest things that folks Photo is really invested in landscape, especially once the mobile camera becomes possible.
1: And, and for Norris, he studied painting in Paris uh, originally, and, and that's where he was introduced to Zola, but I do think that this inclination towards landscape, uh, particularly like prairies and deserts, emerges from this original interest in, in painting.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, and why, why don't you tell us a little bit of context about Norris? Because I, f- I feel like some of that stuff will help us, um, you know, think a little bit more
1: about what we're, yeah. uh, what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Just, just a little bit of context. Um, So Frank Norris published at the turn of the century, uh, turn of the 19th century and died in 1902. And he was really, really young. He was only 32 years old. As we were talking about before he died of appendicitis and he's originally from Chicago and he was born to, he was born to a wealthy family. I, I can't remember what they, what his, what his dad did, but, but his family was like, was like pretty wealthy. And then Moved, and then he lived in San Francisco. He also lived in London. He was a journalist. And actually did some journalism in Cuba. And he also famously went to Cal when he moved back to the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then and and then also remarkably he went to Harvard for a year or two. So he hit all of these like major institutions. Um how did that, he
4: fit how did he fit all this in to 32? 32 years I know,
2: 30. really crazy Well I, I just uh, t- sorry um, the but the introduction to the penguin written by um, uh, Kevin Starr uh, talks a lot about this the, the way Starr describes this is he shows up at Cal and he's like euro hipster because he's like I'm an artiste but then when he gets to Cal, he's like, no 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 now I'm a
1: frat guy and
2: like, it's just so, I mean he
1: sounds like a terrible terrible person actually i was reading the biography of frank norris yeah and they talk about his his cow years and basically they're like look we have no excuse for frank (laughs) norris like at this point when he was like he just like straight up was a shitty frat dude and like and and he was like they, they they talk about how he was really into hazing he yeah huge into it just like would like go around like banging on tables like intimidating first year just like classic frat behavior Something's i think a fucking frat star billiard ball in your mouth actually yeah. actually like when i when I, I i like when i read the uh when i read the billiard ball scene for the first time i was like this is a total frat thing obviously and it it you know it was it, it definitely was And I think I read somewhere too that McTeague is like the character of McTeague is like partially based on somebody that he went to college with, (laughs) i.e. like was in a frat with. Yeah. yeah. McTeague Um,
2: based
0: on a true story. (laughs) I knew this guy who had a bird and no brain. Yeah.
1: But, but like when we think about the kind of terrifying intersection of fascism naturalism the fraternity and like the hollywood blockbuster it just all really weirdly makes sense and like comes into a weird convergence with with frank norris and then part of that i think is you know part of that general norris aesthetic which is naturalist as as we were talking about comes from zola because he spent whatever like a couple years in paris and he was introduced to zola and Norris is generally known, I think, in American literary critic critical circles as bringing uh, Zola to America, and then also part of this like naturalist aesthetic because I, I think that he does defer from Zola in in obviously like a lot of ways. But I think what's interesting in terms of his aesthetic influence is that while he was at Cal he took classes with a professor named joseph Lacante Laconte? am i pronouncing that right um but basically he was this like famous geologist who was like one of the first guys to to really take seriously uh darwinian theory like in the uh in the american institution w- was one of like a, a like a bunch of guys and Lacante in uh, at Berkeley was just like incredibly racist, was like just known as being this huge eugenicist as obviously they all were. Um, and it wasn't until recently actually that like some uh, some students at, at Berkeley had protested to uh, change one of the names of the buildings um, from this guy to, to something else I, I can't remember. But he, he <laughs> was like literally anything else. Yeah. He was so he was this huge like racist eugenicist guy. Yeah, hated reconstruction and like thought black enfranchisement was like a terrible idea. Just was like was was awful. But but this is the guy that like Frank Norris is like taking classes with and like calls him like Professor Joe. Yeah uh, and y- so
2: Josh, I think that was a really uh helpful sort of like situating of what naturalism is and, and and Megan what you were saying about its connection to photography and that and 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 that uh that aspect to it. I, I did want to like from from the Kant uh and white supremacist bullshit just kind of dig a little bit into that. Because like one question I had reading was like how um yeah like basically where it thought it's like sort of like like racist version of Darwinist, uh uh like kind of ethnic taint logic was going. Um, and I don't know. There's two things to note. One is that for a while Marcus gets into politics, but like the novel's quite clear that what uh, that he has no idea, like he's an idiot, that basically he's like parodying this sort of like right-wing populist, like oh the damn immigrants, in a way that the novel kind of seems to be like, well, but see, Marcus is an idiot. Mm-hmm. And yet that's alongside all the like gross ethnic stereotypes, and like, but one moment that I thought was like, was really kind of um interesting here was uh, it's when Trina is unconscious in the chair, and it's talking about this like these animal urges in McTeague that are coming forward. And there's there's this there's these two paragraphs I'm gonna read just real quick, but for all that, the brute was there long dormant, it was now at last alive, awake. From now on, he would feel its presence continually, would feel it tugging at its chain, watching its opportunity. Ah, the pity of it. Why could he not always love her purely, cleanly? What was this perverse, vicious thing that lived within him, knitted to his flesh? Below the fine fabric of all that was good in him ran the foul stream of hereditary evil like a sewer. The vices and sins of his father and of his father's father to the third and fourth and 500th generation tainted him. The evil of an entire race flowed in his veins. Why should it be? He did not desire it. Was he to blame? I guess my question there is like, okay, when he says an entire race, what does that mean? Is this a claim that all humans are basically McTeague or is it, whoa, no, you saw how his father was a drunken Irishman and that's what it, I just feel like the novel is kind of caught between a bunch of different impulses there and probably ends in a very sort of like fucked up kind of place. But I just, I I guess I was just curious what you guys think that material is doing here or how to like situate that shit thematically and figure out what Norris
1: thought the fuck he was doing, you know Yeah, wow. Who wants to take that one?
4: The one thing I will say is I think that it is really cool that Frank Norris decided to turn into Nathaniel Hawthorne briefly <laughs> in yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. and start doing doing that stuff. But I did get the sense sort of that with the right conditions present, anybody could get caught in the stream of the the swamp that lies within us all or whatever. Mm-hmm. The the reason I say that is because so Trina, for instance, at the beginning of the book, she has all these habits in addition to her and they and they make up her like her look like she's she does her ha- she does her hair for hours, I guess, and she's she keeps everything clean. Um, and then as the novel goes on and she becomes more and more miserly, like she, they live in worse and worse shit, not just worse and worse you know, not the apartment itself, but also like she doesn't give a shit about cleaning things up. She doesn't mm-hmm. wear gloves when she's painting her figurines. So like all the time these two things uh the the primal whatever that uh, Frank Norris is obsessed with, and these modern inventions or conventions are always like butting up against each other like the the paint and the urge to be slovenly, the ether and the urge to to rape, I guess, is what's going on here, yeah.
0: Yeah, that seems right to me that there's like that also I think what he's sort of speaking to here is that like the veneer of it's okay. I don't mean in the world. I mean in this novel that the like veneer of not raping people is barely covering the sort of like animalian impulse. Right. Right. So it's like yeah. the appearance of of it's that it's like all incredibly animal just barely under the surface.
1: Yeah. And I'm yeah. Not,
0: I, it's weird. It's so fucking weird that he says, like, the race or this father's father, because it doesn't feel racialized. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yes. I don't well, know. Because McTeague how to describe doesn't it. come from anywhere. Right.
2: No, he doesn't. And, and, right. And I mean, I and actually, like, I'm. Like you know, I'm taking the the Irish name as, like that, that 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 is like sort of who who he's supposed to be. But you're right that he doesn't come from anywhere, Katie. He's like he his his uh yeah his origins are like like he he grew up in this mining camp. Like he has no connection to his family. He he is almost sort of like uh this kind of like autochthonous creation of like mm-hmm. the mess of like the American landscape or something
1: like that.
0: Well, and yeah, it's like- he is like. The demands of the novel are such that it can only do the most, like, it has, like, clunky racist tropes, but nobody has any sort of, like, more, like, richer version of racialization, right? At least, I mean, they only have, like, the stupidest literal dialect of, like, the Germans who don't speak well, you know, like, there's, but there's no, it's, it doesn't come to anything. It's not substantial except for, like, he's just doing, like, an anti Prussian bit. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I am sort of winding up, which is not at all to like excuse or say that oh, so it's like eugenicist impulses are are less. But I do think that totally. like what it's it's most interested at is this is some kind of claim about like the animality of the human in a way that you're right. It's not it's not like super invested in positing like various sort of like racial and ethnic hierarchies so much as it's like you know using it's like oh see we're all fucking like a weird asshole. And again, like that's, that doesn't make it better or whatever, but like, I just, I think that it's, I I think it's doing um, maybe different work than that with that than um, like another sort of like eugenicist type text might be or something like that.
0: Well, it does feel to me like, Tristan, part of what you're getting at too, is like, that my first reading would be like, oh, this like animal impulse is like a masculine Mm-hmm. You know, because it's it's here about like rape, but Trina's rubbing her butt up against gold coins is animal too.
2: Yes, yeah.
0: It's just yeah. It's just not. It's it's like takes a totally different form, but it's not like oh, only men have this like animal impulse. It's just like completely direction in a different way. Right. Right.
4: And I, I think we'll probably talk about this more, but I think that there is something to do, like this, this on the edge of the animal also has to do with their class position. Norris says explicitly that it's very important for everybody to sort of know what to do in social situations mm-hmm. because there's no cushion for people who are right on the edge of like there, your respectability is always in question. So there's something like about being so close to the animal that everyone is and you don't have any like grace or, uh, you know, soft thing to catch you when you fall.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, no. So I, I think like the, 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 class aspect is something that we need to dig a little bit uh, deeper in. And, and Katie, you were talking about how, uh, yeah, like this idea of like sort of uh, respectability or whatever, it, it like becomes super important for people whose kind of class position is precarious. Um, I actually like read directly from that. Cause one question I have is like the whole sort of Polk street milieu, like that, you know, a lot of the characters that we meet are, you know they're they're what we would now think of as professional class, but like their living conditions, like Reed is so proletarian, and, and so I'm just kind of curious what that's doing, whether that's like a historical claim about sort of San Francisco specifically at this time, but but the lie you alluded to, uh, Katie, this, this is um, uh, they're they're kind of plotting their their first uh, date in the city, um, and and Marcus is telling McTeague that he should take Trina to um, to uh, the theater. Uh, and, and so we have this, this paragraph, this is on 91 of the penguin, uh, take her to the variety show at the Orpheum. There's a good show there this week. You'll have to take Mrs. Seep too. Of course he added, Marcus was not sure of himself as regarded certain proprieties, nor for that matter, were any of the people of the little world of Polk street. The shop girls, the plumber's apprentices, the small trade people, and their like, whose social position was not clearly defined, could never be sure how far they could go and yet preserve their respectability. When they wished to be proper, they invariably overdid the the thing. It was not as if they belonged to the tough element who had no appearances to keep up. Polk Street rubbed elbows with the avenue one block above. There were certain limits which its dwellers could not overstep, but unfortunately for them, these limits were poorly defined. They could never be sure of themselves. At an unguarded moment, they might be taken for toughs, so they generally aired in the other direction and were absurdly formal. No people had have a keener eye for the amenities than those whose social position is not assured. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, like what one, I mean, let's just kind of talk about that idea a bit. But also, like, yeah, why you know, I mean We're talking, we're, we're not talking about Plumber's Apprentices. We're talking about like a dentist. Uh, There's a veterinarian who lives in the building. And yet like they like McTeague at the beginning of the book sleeps in his dentist office because he only rents one room in this building, you know, um,
0: the place that they move into, that's like a pal, is like palatial to them, is two rooms,
2: right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the the kitchen, like Trina's kitchen, uh, which is really sort of like the the her like I mean, she, it's talked about those terms it's kind of her fiefdom. Um, like, there's a curtain leading into the dentist's office. That's the you know, that's yeah. the only other. Yeah, so yeah. Um, the
0: only thing I'll say, I mean, like this is this is sort of like lateral to what we're talking about, Josh. Maybe you have a different opinion, but like to me, it doesn't read that. San Francisco specific because this is like almost this exact description in Maggie, the Stephen mm-hmm. Crane short, whatever we call it, novella, which I think is the same year. I'm not positive, but it doesn't feel San Francisco specific except the class aspirations do. The spatial stuff doesn't. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I, I don't really get that much of a sense of um, this being specific spatially to to San Francisco do you, Megan? Do you feel like it's specific to California? Though is that is that a bad question or a weird question? Um, I actually
0: feel like other stuff feel- is more like the. For me, the last fifty pages are like could not be anywhere
1: else. Right, I agree. And
0: yeah, that his coming from nowhere does feel frontiery to me. Yes. I think that's yeah. the word that you used just in in our notes, yes. which is like totally right. And there are some things, but otherwise, especially the sort of like eastern and western european immigrants just feel very like 1890s fiction to me yeah yeah you know it could be chicago again if you want to read whatever naturalist you know gets you off like if it's uh (laughs) upton sinclair or dreiser or stephen crane like those are all in different cities (laughs) Well,
2: yeah. And, 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 and I mean, I think that there is a sort of like, you know, much, much broader than any, um, geographic locale question too, right. Of of the, like the precarity of like the sort of like the, the, the poorest ranks of the petty bourgeoisie, right. Like that they are, they, you know, and I think that that's what this sort of like the, the. Overemphasis on sort of respectability that like they know their class precarious like they they have just enough to sort of like keep up a sort of certain presentation of not being proletarian but they're very close to the the proletariat i think the only well, other question
0: very different from like the i i know that i keep comparing this to Stephen crane but i just think he's like a much better writer and <laughs>
3: yeah <well. laughs> um
0: and like uh nobody in this novel is like screeching out of their tenement windows at their neighbors you know what i mean so like that's part of what i think you're getting at tristan right which is like people overdo it so they don't sound like irish immigrants who are like leaning out their tenement windows screaming at their neighbors or you know italians whatever the like the bad guy immigrants are
2: Right. No, I, I think, yeah, I, I think, I think for sure. Um, the, I guess the other question I had that, whether this might be somewhat like kind of uh, like spatially or historicized does just have to do with the emergence of the profession, right? So like one, one thing that we kind of noted, right? Like when McTeague, uh, when the letter sh- from the city shows up, it's like, you're in violation because you don't have a diploma. Like his reaction isn't that of like a comment. It's like, ah, the jig's up. It's like, well, what do you mean I have to have a diploma? I've been proud. Practicing for all these years that I never had to have one before. So there's like a, like a, like the profession as a thing becoming, and this like regulated structure, which I think it probably is just, again, like, yeah, the 1890s, that's, that's a, something that was happening. But I also did wonder if like the frontieriness isn't like part of that as well, right? It's the like, yeah, well, in the mining camp world, sure, you had a pair of pliers, and you could call yourself a dentist. <laughs> now, like, we're no longer the frontier, if that's part of it, or if it is more just a kind of like across the country. Like this is an era when like the profession as a modern thing is sort of emerging. And that's the kind of tension McTeague is sort of stuck in, you know?
0: Well, to me, it like, this is, this is, this is going to be a little hard to describe. I apologize. It does feel like profoundly American, like U S specific. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we know professionalization as a sort of like mechanism is happens in different places in different ways, but in the U.S it does feel like it emerges i don't know it feels like us specific in a way that it was like you know this this is the kind of thing that would never happen in dickens right right no it no. couldn't but to be fair in the us college in the 1890 was still was still a place that you went to learn fucking greek yeah you know yeah, it, it's not like oh there's trade school for de- i mean i know there's trade school for dentists but it's not <laughs> It's not like going to harvard makes you good at anything
2: right (laughs) right right. sorry i mean it makes
0: you good at being a republican (laughs) i guess but
2: (laughs) (laughs) or just a you know bourgeois democrat basically same fucking thing right but um yeah sorry
0: i know princeton is our usual target of ivy league scorn on this podcast (laughs) yeah
2: no i i that 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 makes sense that makes sense to me um what you guys did say about like the uh, Megan I think you said the the last 50 pages like super california yeah i mean there is there is a great line about i can't find it but i just paraphrase it where he's like east of the mississippi nature's nature's like mild and tamed and like west of the mississippi nature wants to kill you <laughs> you know
0: they even have a tiny little uh, like racistly rendered indian person who shows up for literally one paragraph so frank norris can do an anti indian racism
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah i'm like why like it doesn't have to be racist if a character's only there for four sentences
2: (laughs) not sure he knows how to introduce a character that's not racist
0: (laughs) yeah i mean that's a really good point but it's also like now i'm thinking that these are also people even the vet to a certain degree these are like body workers right so it's like the professionalization of people who like perform work on other people
3: yeah. Right? That's yeah. a
0: specific thing. That's certainly true with the professionalization in the eighteenth century, right? It's like you can be a barber if you yeah. rip teeth out of somebody's face.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I think that question of like professionalization, uh, and as you were saying, Megan, this like distinction or, or this like or what 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 you're alluding to is like the materiality of, of work or the bodily aspect of work is, Mm -hmm. is really interesting because I also think that there's something there in terms of the materiality of gold. And and I know a lot of other people have made this argument before, but there's like the materiality of gold as the source of value or, or, or or, yeah, value production, Um, which as a Marxist, I don't obviously agree with, but I think that that's (laughs) present in this novel. Yeah. But, uh, but, but then there's, there's, there's that. And then the, one of the turning points in the novel, as we were saying, is this moment of professionalization where he needs this slip of paper and he keeps describing it as like a slip of paper. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think that Norris really is describing this, uh, some kind of qualitative shift in the nature of work that's moving away from some kind of uh, materiality into something that is more, Material and that's like reflected in this like paper slash gold binary and and I think also it's interesting too and this I think appears way more in the octopus than it does in this novel but um, there's this fascination on Norris's behalf of the middle section and like bigness and like middleness mm. and in, in the octopus that's like an explicit reference I think to this like growing middle managerial position that's happening at the, at the turn of the 19th century where corporations themselves are starting to explode uh, in size and a lot more, uh, f- uh, far more people are moving from the kind of like physical or material work. I mean, not everybody, obviously, but like um, a, a good chunk of people are uh, now moving into these middle manager positions or this is the start of that, that kind of like I guess, class position. I, I, I'm not to wait into like PMC uh, discourse here too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, um, <laughs> we don't, that's but, fine. but I, yeah. Yeah. But, but I do think, I do think that like, yeah, Norris is like clocking these kinds of qualitative changes to mm. the nature of, of work. Yeah. Like particularly at this, at this time. Yeah. Maybe no. that's a banal point. Though. No, that, no, I mean no.
0: like in what way no, could no. you see that more than somebody who does the work on the body? Right. Like,
2: yeah, Totally. Yeah, no, for sure.
0: Um, should we play a game?
2: Yeah, sorry. I, I'll just add one one final one final th- plug for uh, for Greed because I'm kind of obsessed with that movie now. That relates directly to what Josh was saying about the this the uh, the emergent non kind of materiality of wealth, um, gold the color like gold because the gold coins appears in that movie a lot. It's a, you know, it's a black and white silent film. And I was like, wait, what, how is there gold on the screen? Yeah. Psycho, Eric von Stroheim had the reels hand painted.
0: That's the nuttiest, wildest bullshit I've ever heard.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's
1: amazing. That's really amazing.
2: Anyway, that's it. Watch, watch the film, read the book. Yeah, that's my plug. (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, let's do a game. Let's do a game.
4: So, I have learned a lot these past few, several days about what it's like to be a dentist. <laughs> what it's like to be
0: oh no, an unlicensed dentist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, l-
4: been learning a lot. Been been lurking on a lot of forums. Been uh, been around all the message boards. I've been to Yelp. Uh, apparently, there's a dentist. Um, here's one review: Stay away from this dentist. The office staff will hold you and your children hostage. What the? <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, okay. But today, what we're gonna do is um is see. So you're you are going to play the role of unlicensed dentists, and I think <laughs> nice. that uh, Sweeney Todd, everyone, yeah. everyone, <laughs> yes, everyone is very prepared for this. And what I'll ask you a series of questions that we can sort of think of as our own little licensure exam, and we'll see if you are um, doctors of medical dentistry at the end of this podcast episode.
0: Yeah. Can I like admit to one of my stupidest moments of my adult life?
2: Of course.
0: But go on. <laughs> um, I, whenever I had heard in my life people saying that a baby was teething, I thought it was like a phase. No, that's not true. Their teeth come in one at a time, and so they are constantly teething for like yeah. a year.
2: Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun when, when my son was dying. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I was like, oh, no, it's like a thing. It lasts a month. Like their yeah. teeth all come in at the exact same time yeah what yeah why yeah
1: well That's i mean the, the whole-
0: dumbest thought i've ever had i would also like it known that when a person is pregnant they have literally six rows of teeth in their body yep yep and if that wow, doesn't I'm freak too you too the fuck people- out <laughs> about the path pathology of bioreproduction then nothing yeah. will it's fucked up. <laughs> Six Pregnancy
4: makes you a gray white shark. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> and I think that's cool. The yeah. only person who has like a teeth narrative in my life right now is my kid. <laughs> 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 we were at the park recently and a kid lost his tooth and he said, no, I want to hold it. And his mom said, the last time you held onto it, you lost it. And we had to write the tooth fairy a letter and it was so much paperwork.
3: <laughs> that's
1: amazing that's amazing that very, that's like so it's cool sorry that's like that's like so kafka-esque honestly yeah. like like yeah. like a kid has to like perform this like bureaucratic task to like reach the <laughs> the magical tooth fairy or yeah. I'm just like, yeah oh my god like <laughs> uh, anyway so let's be Dennis let's
2: let's find out how, how <laughs> yeah, let's, let, let's pass this licensure exam yes
4: and I want to I want to stress one thing all of these scenarios are 100% internet real ah, okay. so right. I can't promise it actually happened but people claim that they did
3: yeah.
4: okay so of course you uh, you're better than McTeague right you attended some dental school before dropping out to just go whole hog so uh, which of the following is your dental school sex scandal a classmate got caught at 6 a.m having sex with professor in Pedo Clinic. Side note: so This is an actual side note for me. There's a harmless dental mouth condition that happens a lot in babies. It's called Epstein's pearls. Which? <laughs> Ew, what
0: does that mean?
1: Okay. Oh my okay. god! Oh god! Yeah, yeah, it's
4: a cyst on the um, top of your mouth, of uh, the palate. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah.
4: Uh, and it's it's pretty harmless. But anyway, um, uh, B, wa- uh, lecturer whose wife is an ortho lecturer. Getting caught with a classmate blowing him in his office. <laughs> Another classmate knocked on the door. Heard whispering. Him zip his pants up quickly and the embarrassed girl ran out of the room. Guy was a good clinician but an absolute dick unless you were a hot chick. <laughs> to make matters worse, he worked on the third floor and his wife worked on the second floor. The absolute gall. Uh, last God. I heard, he's still together with his wife. Of course. Uh, um, so Yay. Okay, and C, uh, your dental gala at aerospace club venue. Okay. A female in my class was giving fellatio to a male student from the class above us inside one of these capsule type displays. A (laughs) venue staff employee caught them literally shaft in hand. The dental. (laughs) The dental school got banned from ever having any functions at the venue again. That venue was frequently used for the gala for several decades. Damn shame, too, because wish it was me in that capsule. (laughs) She was super hot, LOL.
1: Uh, Oh, my. Wow.
4: Wow.
0: I think the second one reflects more of the grad school experience that I've witnessed,
1: uh yeah. the third one oh, the I'll... third
0: one going off of some friend stories sounds more like law school
1: yeah or, or <laughs> yeah b school yeah
0: okay so megan you're going with b yeah yeah
1: yeah i'm gonna throw in with b too actually megan that's a good that's a good that's so, a good point i'm
2: sorry so the, the scenario we're, we're trying to pick the scenario that that does what exactly
4: that happened at your imaginary dental school? Like what feels the most right to you? Gotcha.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know I hear what you're saying, but like more like grad school, but the thing I like dentistry is, is definitely more to skewing towards the, the, um, like more of the like B school, dentists make a fuck of a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Like some, oh my god! And actually, yeah. dentists uh, were one of the big... Ba- uh, dentists fought uh, ever being involved in Medicare because they're you know just kind of like a real reactionary dentist element. Um, in which case, I'm going to go with C because C <laughs> is B school material, and yeah. Um, and All yeah, right. so that I think that more fits my stereotype of the de- the dentist
0: world. And the fancy gala uh, thing—that's what yeah. made me think law school because like that yeah. is something that they do. Yeah
1: yeah for sure for sure so we got Yeah, I, i've never seen a dentist at a party ever so <laughs> I, uh-
4: that's
0: because they're in the capsules
1: so- <laughs> i have a close
0: friend who's a dentist but he is one of the only people i know who's totally paid off his student loans
2: yeah 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 no they yeah yeah mm-hmm. they uh yeah sorry so we got two b's and a c two b's and a
0: c
4: okay question number two which of the following dental quandaries do you feel most qualified to address? A, an order for Emacs crown number 13, shade A1, patient <laughs> wants a poop emoji tattoo on the people. <laughs> <laughs> B, tell me about the dental lifestyle. That's a question from Reddit. They want to know about the dental <laughs> lifestyle.
0: Don't know I'm what that confused, means. i confused, but okay.
4: Yep, me too. And C is, um. Uh, I was wondering if anyone in school has heard of this. I happened upon a dentist in South Florida selling her patient's magical healing vibration water and was wondering what the fuck this is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, poop emoji.
2: Poop emoji. Poop emoji is great. I don't know. I'm just fascinated with the dental lifestyle. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah,
2: I with the. I want to hear more about the the dental lifestyle.
1: <laughs> me too. Me too. I I'm all in on on the dental lifestyle. Whatever that is, it sounds amazing. Like
0: I said, I, I have can... a friend who's a dentist, and it's not so much a lifestyle as like being a human person. <laughs>
4: Well, but like but like you can be a dentist and not live like the dental lifestyle. Right. I don't live
0: the, I don't live the professor lifestyle. I <laughs> I don't know yeah. if Josh lives the grad student lifestyle you might.
1: But Katie. I yeah, oh god, I hope not. <laughs> Katie, that's what I <laughs> mean you Do You drink like. a lot
0: and go to events for free food.
1: That's uh, that's just that's literally it. That's literally it. Um, uh, wait, I feel like we just read the read a novel about the dental lifestyle, and I think I'm actually like backing out now. I don't yeah, think I it want seems that. pretty. That actually, sounds really bad. It seems yeah. pretty
2: bad, at least at that point in time. <laughs> but Katie, you said like you could be a dentist and not live the dental lifestyle. I'm also hearing like fucking like uh, like reactionary nut jobs talking about the gay lifestyle. <laughs> like you, you know, <laughs> totally. You know, just <laughs> yeah. because you are same sex attracted doesn't mean you have to live the dental lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just because
4: you want to pull out teeth with your fingers doesn't mean you got to go all <laughs> and around and force
0: people to break all their teeth around a billiard
2: ball. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I yeah, it just it, it seems bad in McTeague, but I, I'm gonna. I, I'm curious to know more. I'll say so.
4: About the dental lifestyle, um, I'll say this. Uh, part of the dental lifestyle involves dealing with um, patients, and I read a story about a woman who got her teeth cleaned and then swore that. um her bottom teeth were shorter and she wanted a compensation for that. <laughs> and I
0: just,
3: I don't know what to say. Because uh, um, if this
0: book is an indication, and- it just sounds like you're trying to like de relieve people of their gag reflux. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which really is a service to the entire world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess
4: so. Doing it for humanity. So, as you are all currently running unlicensed practices, which of the following dramatic incidents would happen, What happened where you do all the teeth work that you're not allowed to do? In your basement. Um, in your basement. No. A, sisters who are hygienist and assistant, they still live with their parents, but cannot be scheduled the same day due to drama.
3: <laughs>
4: due to drama. B, Patient making odd noises slash facial expressions during cleaning. Upon inquiry, quite religious hygienist is freaked out. Vibrations from Cavatron are giving patient an orgasm. (laughs) Hygienist can't handle that.
3: Oh.
0: (laughs) She's not a giver? (laughs) Uh,
4: Quite religious. Uh, Yeah. Quite religious. Or C... An assistant keeps telling an IT guy who comes in every few months that they were in middle school together and he sat behind her in history. He is confused. They would be a cute couple. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. I mean. Wow. I did. What a miserable profession. After hearing all of this, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> i mean b i i it, at least someone's having fun at a dentist office which i didn't know is possibility <laughs> that's so. a good
0: point there is a you know vibe the vibration you know like if i abstract pretty far i can see that <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs>
4: yes at least someone's enjoying themselves.
0: surely people use like their electric toothbrushes For illicit
2: purposes. I mean, yeah, (laughs) if there is a device, if there is an object someone at some point has used it for sexual purposes.
0: Wait, right? But I think an no. object with yeah. batteries that vibrates it's, it's, is like no, a particularly. yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: You're, you're yeah, you, you really don't have to do much in, 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 in that case, you know,
4: yeah. it's not but like the an, sex it, accident show where the guy put his dick through the, um, the fucking door handle that. oh God. I, Please,
2: please let's not talk that, that I'm still traumatized by that
0: game. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> is that the one where the lizard crawls up the guy's penis? Yes.
2: Oh, stop! Stop! stop.
0: (laughs)
3: Sorry.
1: Oh God!
0: (laughs) Whose life can we ruin on this podcast? Yeah. Well, because it seems reasonable, I think I'm going to go with B.
1: Because,
0: yeah, it just seems you want people walking out satisfied and smiling.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna also go with B just to complete the B hat trick that I um, <laughs> have been doing here, Yeah. So uh, why not? You know,
4: you've hewed closely to the B, and I think that the, I think this was a good idea because I just want to congratulate all of you. You're fucking dentists now! Oh, Yay! Cool. Yeah. You're licensed dentists. You can grab any toolkit you want and begin filling cavities. You can start doing crowns, doing bridges doing braces no that's an orthodontist you can't do that
0: but other all the dentists still have a degree. they still have a dds
2: yeah i so i
0: can be an orthodontist too just saying yeah do you
4: you can but you're if you're not if your ortho lecturer gets caught blowing
0: classmates (laughs) in the office that was i think
3: people getting caught blowing
0: each other is like the primary theme of this quiz
2: uh yeah it is um it's the friendly, uh yeah I, I also i think that i or, or the uh, i imagine dentists have some sort of jealousy towards orthodontists because those people i mean dentists make a lot of money but orthodontists make fucking back i remember when i had bra- the braces and it was like an assembly line in that fucking place there were like <laughs> six chairs they were all yeah. like you know going at the yeah. same mm-hmm. time it was yeah anyway
4: it's very fucked up very fucked up i hope you can correct that in your future dental <laughs> career so that no one ex- uh, no one else has to be price gouged for their uh for their
1: did you guys see that there was like an article in the new york times like a month ago about dental malfeasance and apparently it's like fucking everywhere and Mm -hmm. dentists will just like call you in for all kinds of for all kinds of procedures that you just don't need (laughs) because it's like (laughs) i mean all all medicine in the united states is obviously like a horrific like capitalist enterprise but But apparently, there was like this huge, yeah, like expose on how like shitty like the entire like profession is and like how exploitative it is. Um, It's really crazy. Link in the description. No, I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) 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 Anyway, thanks for being here, Josh. This was really fun, and this book is nuts. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was so much fun to do. I'm glad that we were able to finally do it. And yeah, this book is really really bad shit yeah um, Go read it yeah
0: god anyway, definitely this has been better Red than dead <laughs> you can find josh on twitter at josh stadner you can find me on twitter at tesla soros katie at katie crywo tristan at tj schweiger you can find the show on twitter instagram and facebook at Better Red Pod, and email us at Podcast at gmail.com but only if you want to tell us about how you became an unlicensed dentist actually don't ever do that um yeah <laughs> <laughs> No. Please, please uh, don't
2: co- confess to crimes. In
0: yeah. <laughs> not in our inbox. Do that in our mentions. We're not going to call the cops, but we have to tell you that we're going to call the cops. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and our intro music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Rate, review, and subscribe. And next up, we have our usual Halloween episodes for you. We're doing Carrie and the case of george dudlow and picture of dorian gray so thanks comrades